The entire team at the Emsolation Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians and cultures of the lands and seas on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders and ancestors. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and stand in solidarity towards a shared future. I personally want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast every week, the Wurundjeri people. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place I call home. Always was, always will be. This is Free Time Tuesday on Emsolation with M. Rossiano. Well, hello there and welcome to Emsolation. My name is M. Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain, and this is Free Time Tuesday. <laughs> Little short check-in from me because sometimes there's things I want to talk to you all about that can't wait till Thursday and every week it'll be different. It'll be this week it's something that a video I watched that's changed everything for me, like it changed my life. It will get to that but I just was like when I watch this video that I'm going to talk to you about now, Immediately, I've got to share it with my friends. I've got to tell Emsolation. I've got to tell the Emsolators. And that's what this is here for. Now, I did have one of you contact me saying, Emma, I'm a teacher. First of all, tick, I love you. And we now refer to free time as golden hour, which is great. I love that. Love that for the new generation. But if you were in primary school in the 80s or 90s, it was free time. And you'd be slugging your way through maths in stinking hot summer in the classrooms with no air conditioning. And then your teacher would look up at you and say, all right, free time after lunch. <gasps> so you'd not only get lunchtime, you'd come in and you'd know you could just wander around the classroom doing whatever you wanted. Free time usually consisted of me being in the toilets trying to hand dry the pit stains on my uniform. But you know what? There were no rules on free time, so I could do that. Unimpeded. Speaking of school, obviously, I mean, I became a teenager in the 90s. Uh, I, became, I was 1992 was when I turned 13. And I, of course, had a smorgasbord of music available to me and I listened to it all. And I guess when people think about me, my brand alignment would be pop and soul music. But what I don't know, some of you would know this, but I do have a deep love, a deep river of love for grunge, soft, cock, pop, rock. I love rock. I do love good rock music. I love an 80s cock rock. I love a 90s grunge band, okay? Now, of course, of course, R&B was also very strong in the 90s. And I, once a month, would go to an R&B underage club called Existence, Existence, held at the local tennis place. And my dad would drop me off. It would go from 12 to 4. And Vincey would drop me off. And then he'd go play a round of golf at the Heidelberg Golf Club. And I would walk in there into existence with my friend. Often it was my friend Vicky and Tanya. And we'd go in and, and I would stand there and watch awkwardly on as all the people around me dry humped and pashed and did all the things I did not engage in. I did not do any of that. I would watch and I would also observe the group of predominantly white boys in cross-coloured jeans ugh, and Rastafarian colours, which I now know cultural appropriation. What? So many of that. So much of that went on in the 90s. Oh my goodness. And they would like be shouting out NWA songs, you know, because they're such hardcore private school boys. Uh, And then of course, when Naughty by Nature's hip hop, hooray, ho, they would point to some poor girl. You're a ho. Hey, we're saying you're a ho. We're like, we get it. And she's not a ho. She's like 13 or 40. She has enough time to be a ho. But she would cop it. 
Hey, it was so funny every time. Ho, ha, 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 slut shaming. Oh, we didn't know. So I did all of that, of course. And I did, I mean, I was a blue light disco girl. It's the Eltham Roller Ring, a lot of you know that. I did go to that, but I transitioned out of blue lights. And, you know, when you think about the, the blue light, you know the blue light and blue light disco re- re- refers to the police. The police are essentially sponsoring an underage fingering festival. But then when I think about fingering and let's just go on an ADHD brain side quest, 13-year-old boys have no business fingering. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Side quest, side quest, side quest. A lady asked me to swear less so she could listen to the podcast out loud in front of her kids and I'm not going to fucking do that because I don't want you to listen to this with the kids because it means you're not having your own time. Put your headphones on, be in the car, be in your huffy puffy. Do not, do not try and share or combine insulation with your other duties because you deserve just some frivolous time to just escape with myself and Michael when he's here and my cello when she's here. So I will not fucking stop swearing because I don't want you to play me out loud, okay? Side quest, where was I? What was, this, what was the middle side quest I was on? Oh, fingering. Yeah, 13-year-old boys, they don't know what they're doing. It is a, it is a poke of hope. That's it. They're going in with their little dirty fingernails and just trying to find something to put in somewhere. And... and I would never, I did never, I was never fingered at an underage establishment because, well, mainly because I was so hairy. Like, I think there was like a thatch, like a hedge. I think the hairs had eventually joined together underneath (laughs) my vulva. Like the lips had formed a hedge, a pubic hedge, if you will. And I would have to have honestly hooked up with Edward Scissorhands. And once he got his way to the opening, it would have been a bloodbath. So there was just no way... There was no way I was sending any forager down there. Absolutely not. Why am I talking about that? Oh, yeah. So I wanted to let you know that I, of course, did love the R&B and the soul and the pop, but the grunge for me really got in in an era, say, 94, 95, you got your Nirvana, you got your Pearl Jam. Oh, when I would have a fight with my parents, I would legit, this is 100% true, I would walk around with my Sony Discman blasting and singing out loud, don't call me daughter, not for true, alone, less, less, breakfast table and another, like this is, this is <laughs> but I loved it. Oh, my God, Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge downtown. Like, you know, singing about being having a, a drug problem under a bridge. That was very relatable to Teenage M. But I did. It was, it was a gold near bush. Glycerin. Oh, my God. Smashing Pumpkin. Soundgarden. Of course, Jeff Buckley. <gasps> Jeff Buckley. Oh, my God. Oh, I loved him so much. This is our last goodbye. Oh, my God so mush. You you know, you know what I'm saying. So when I met my husband in 1999, I did have a love and a knowledge of this type of music. But it was at this time I was introduced to a band called the Foo Fighters. And I pretended to like them initially because I was trying to get Scott to like me. And I lied about so much stuff when we first met. Like I told him I was an outdoors person. (laughs) I said I liked camping. I told my husband I like camping. I do not like camping. And let me tell you why. Side quest. When I was, again, 13. God, so much trauma happened to me at 13. This makes sense. I make sense. We were forced. They did like a survival camp at my school. Survival. I mean, for God's sake, what does 13-year-olds need to know about survival? We're just barely hanging on as it is. They dropped us literally in the Grampians with a compass and a map and a shovel 
and said good luck. And the shovel was for digging our own dunnies. Uh-huh. So you can imagine, you give a group of 13-year-old kids just a shovel for a dunny, and there's going to be some rampant gastro by day two. And there certainly was, let me tell you. I, can, I simply cannot let you know how much gastro there was. Or oh, maybe I can. Two of the students were airlifted out. They were so dehydrated. My dad had to drive up to get us. He picked up me and he picked up another girl named Cara. And as we were driving back from the Grampians and I was spewing out the side of my mother's rust-infected red Datsun 180B, I swore, I swore as God is my witness, I would never camp again and I never have. Ever. But I told my husband, oh, I go camping all the time when we first met. <laughs> I told him I surfed. <laughs> and I said, when he said, oh, I really love the Foo Fighters, this new band, they're so great. And I was like, yeah, I love the Foo Fighters. Please, yeah, I can But I, you know, I started listening to them and uh, One by One came out in 2002, was amazing, In Your Honour, 2005. And Scott was like, come on, listen. I'm like, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening, great. But it was in 2007 when Echoes, Silence, Patience and Grace came out and that was our family's anthem. Like that album was played nonstop. There was one song, track one, that Marcello demanded every morning on her way to school and it's The Pretender. What if I say you're not like the others? What if I say you're just another one of your brave? You're the pretender. Like, I don't know if you can think of that song, but that is what my five-year-old was belting out as she would walk into prep every day. And I kind of love that. But because Scott loved the Fooies, we all came to love the Fooies. And it's our family band. My family has two bands that we've gone to every concert. We bond. We all love. We know. We all think of each other. Coldplay. And I will not have you besmirch Coldplay. I don't care how daggy you think they are. All love Chris Martin. All love Coldplay. Okay? Because Fix You was written specifically for me. <laughs> and Foo Fighters. They're our two bands. They're our family bands. Now, obviously, Dave Grohl, lead man, lead guitarist, was the drummer for Nirvana. And, of course, I love Nirvana because I'm a child of the 90s. But for a long time, the heart and soul of the band, and he joined the band later, was drummer... Taylor Hawkins. And obviously a lot of you know that Taylor tragically passed away on March 25th of this year. And it was a huge loss. It was a huge loss to the music community. It was a huge loss to the band, a personal loss to Dave. And I don't think we'll ever really know what went on. There's been a lot of articles. I've read a lot about how he just wanted to leave the band. He was exhausted and he was done. But, you know, the Foo Fighters is a huge machine and a huge operation and lots of people depend on them for their income. And they had all these shows to make up because of COVID. And Taylor was so exhausted and just so done and but just kept going because of his love for Dave and, and out of obligation to all the people that worked for the Foo Fighters. So there's a lot a lot there. And you could see it over the weekend. There was a tribute concert to Taylor at Wembley Stadium in London and lots of big names turned out. But the thing everyone is talking about and the video that I watched, that as soon as I watched it over the weekend, I knew I wanted to talk to you all about it. Taylor's 16-year-old son, Shane Hawkins, he performed. Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, one more drummer that's going to come up and play with us tonight. And uh, let me tell you, I don't think I've ever seen anyone hit the drums as hard as this person. But beyond that, he's a member of our family and uh, he needs to be here tonight with all of us. And uh, I think it makes sense that he's gonna come up and play with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome 
Mr. Shane Hawkins on the drums. And I'm getting teary and emotional and goosebumps even just thinking about it before I even talk to you about it. And I will put this video up on Emsolation tomorrow so you can watch it if you haven't seen it. But early in the night, comedian Dave Chappelle... Ooh, that's problematic. He, he told a story about meeting Shane. And I met a kid who must have been 12 or 13 years old. And I asked him, because he had skate shoes on, if he skated. And he said, I don't skateboard because I don't want to hurt my arms. I said, a simple yes or no would have sufficed. The kid said, I want to be a drummer, like my father. And he, he, he is. He lit that stage up. It's his second last song of this massive concert. It's been very emotional. Dave's broken down many times. Dave's daughter has performed. It's, it's been a huge gig. This 16-year-old kid with his mop of hair and his big grin, just like his dad, sits down at the drum kit. You can just see the whole band are with him and everyone turns to face the kit and Shane starts playing and they get to the drum solo and he just like takes off. He plays with all his heart, with all his grief, with everything his little 16-year-old body has goes into those drums. was transcendent. Like, he was beaming light. I, I don't know how to explain it. If you haven't seen it, as soon as you see it, you'll think back to this moment and you'll like plug in with me and you'll be like, yeah. All the hairs on my body stood on end because he's hitting the drums so hard and he almost goes into a trance and Dave is leaning in and all the band are leaving in and Dave's like smashing the guitar and everyone's just in the crowds with him and it was just like everything stopped down. Time stood still as this 16-year-old kid who was grieving for his dad still, it's only been a few months, played this incredible, incredible drum solo in front of 60,000 people at Wembley Stadium, millions at home, and he fucking nailed it. And that's what I wanted to tell you and that's what I wanted to share with you because it made me feel a certain type of way. And in this life, I am always looking for things that make me feel alive and watching this kid play for his dad made me feel alive. But I want you, your job, if you can, if you're able to watch it, Please do. Just be prepared to be so profoundly moved because I really was. All right, that's it for Free Time Tuesday. Oh, she got emotional. We'll be back Thursday with the usual Emsolation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast. Make sure you've signed up for the newsletter that goes out every Friday. It's truly a glorious thing, okay? You can get all the information on how to be our pen pal at the Instagram account. Please follow us on Spotify. Leave a review. I suggest five stars. And that's how you support your fave podcast. I'm going to go ahead and assume that we're your fave. I mean, who's comparing? I can't think of anyone. Can you? Don't answer that. All right, gang, see you Thursday. Have a nice week, Wednesday. There's only one day between now. Oh, look at us. We're regular pals. Bye. 
Free Time Tuesday on Emsolation is a Spotify-exclusive podcast hosted and produced by M. Rossiano. Recorded and edited at Down the Hill Studios by Ezekiel Fenn. A brand new episode of Emsolation with M. Rossiano drops every Thursday, 6am, only on Spotify. Spotify.